Chapters 19 and 20 of A House of Gentlefolk by Ivan Turgenev, translated by Constance Garnett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 19 The small manor house to which Lavretsky had come, and in which two years before Glafira Petrovna had breathed her last, had been built in the preceding century of solid pine wood, it looked ancient, but it was still strong enough to stand another fifty years or more. Lavretsky made the tour of all the rooms, and to the great discomfiture of the aged languid flies settled under the lintels and covered with white dust, he ordered the windows to be opened everywhere. They had not been opened ever since the death of Glafira Petrovna. Everything in the house had remained as it was. The thin-legged white miniature couches in the drawing-room, covered with glossy grey stuff, threadbare and rickety, vividly suggested the days of Catherine. In the drawing-room, too, stood the mistress's favourite armchair, with high straight back, against which she never leaned even in her old age. On the principal wall hung a very old portrait of Fyodor's great-grandfather, Andrei Lavretsky. The dark yellow face was scarcely distinguishable from the warped and blackened background. The small cruel eyes looked grimly out from beneath the eyelids, which dropped as if they were swollen. His black unpowdered hair rose bristling above his heavy indented brow. In the corner of the portrait hung a wreath of dusty immortelles. Glafira Petrovna herself was pleased to make it, Anton announced. In the bedroom stood a narrow bedstead under a canopy of old-fashioned and very good striped material. A heap of faded cushions and a thin quilted counterpane lay on the bed, and at the head hung a picture of the presentation in the temple of the Holy Mother of God. It was the very picture which the old maid, dying alone and forgotten by everyone, had for the last time pressed to her chilling lips. A little toilet table of inlaid wood, with brass fittings and a warped looking-glass, in a tarnished frame, stood in the window. Next to the bedroom was the little icon-room with bare walls and a heavy case of holy images in the corner. On the floor lay a threadbare rug spotted with wax. Glafira Petrovna used to pray, bowing to the ground upon it. Anton went away with Lavretsky's groom to unlock the stable and coach-house. To replace him appeared an old woman of about the same age, with a handkerchief tied round to her very eyebrows. Her head shook, and her eyes were dim, but they expressed zeal, the habit of years of submissive service, and, at the same time, a kind of respectful commiseration. She kissed Lavretsky's hand and stood still in the doorway awaiting his orders. He positively could not recollect her name, and did not even remember whether he had ever seen her. Her name, it appeared, was Apraxia. 
Forty years before, Glafira Petrovna had put her out of the master's house and ordered that she should be a poultry woman. She said little, however. She seemed to have lost her senses from old age and could only gaze at him obsequiously. Besides these two old creatures and three pot-bellied children in long smocks, Anton's great-grandchildren, there was also living in the manor house a one-armed peasant who was exempted from servitude. He muttered like a woodcock and was of no use for anything. Not much more useful was the decrepit dog who had saluted Lavretsky's return by its barking. He had been for ten years fastened up by a heavy chain purchased at Glafira Petrovna's command and was scarcely able to move and drag the weight of it. Having looked over the house, Lavretsky went into the garden and was very much pleased with it. It was all overgrown with high grass and burdock, and gooseberry and raspberry bushes, but there was plenty of shade and many old lime trees which were remarkable for their immense size and the peculiar growth of their branches. They had been planted too close and at some time or other, a hundred years before, they had been lopped. At the end of the garden was a small clear pool bordered with high reddish rushes the traces of human life very quickly pass away glafira petrovna's estate had not had time to become quite wild but already it seemed plunged in that quiet slumber in which everything reposes on earth where there is not the infection of man's restlessness fyodor ivanitch walked also through the village the peasant women stared at him from the doorways of their huts their cheeks resting on their hands, the peasants saluted him from a distance, the children ran out, and the dogs barked indifferently. At last he began to feel hungry, but he did not expect his servants and his cook till the evening. The wagons of provisions from Lavriki had not come yet, and he had to have recourse to Anton. Anton arranged matters at once. He caught killed and plucked an old hen. Apraxia gave it a long rubbing and cleaning, and washed it like linen before putting it into the stewpan. When at last it was cooked, Anton laid the cloth and set the table, placing beside the knife and fork a three-legged salt cellar of tarnished plate and a cut decanter with a round glass stopper and a narrow neck. Then he announced to Lavretsky in a sing-song voice that the meal was ready, and took his stand behind his chair, with a napkin twisted round his right fist, and diffusing about him a peculiar strong ancient odour, like the scent of a cypress tree. Lavretsky tried the soup and took out the hen. Its skin was all covered with large blisters. A tough tendon ran up each leg. The meat had a flavor of wood and soda. When he had finished the dinner, Lavretsky said that he would drink a cup of tea, if... I will bring it this minute, the old man interrupted, and he kept his word. A pinch of tea was hunted up, twisted in a screw of red paper, a small but very fiery and loudly hissing samovar was found, and sugar too, in small lumps, 
which looked as if they were thawing. Lavretsky drank tea out of a large cup. He remembered this cup from childhood. There were playing cards depicted upon it, only visitors used to drink out of it, and here was he drinking out of it like a visitor. In the evening his servants came. Lavretsky did not care to sleep in his aunt's bed. He directed them to put him up a bed in the dining-room. After extinguishing his candle he stared for a long time about him and fell into cheerless reflection. He experienced that feeling which every man knows whose lot it is to pass the night in a place long uninhabited. It seemed to him that the darkness surrounding him on all sides could not be accustomed to the new inhabitant. The very walls of the house seemed amazed. At last he sighed, drew up the counterpane round him and fell asleep. Anton remained up after all the rest of the household. He was whispering a long while with Apraxia. He sighed in an undertone, and twice he crossed himself. They had neither of them expected that their master would settle among them at Vasilyevska, when he had not far off such a splendid estate, with such a capitally built house. They did not suspect that the very house was hateful to Lavretsky. It stirred painful memories within him. Having gossiped to his heart's content, Anton took a stick and struck the night watchman's board, which had hung silent for so many years, and laid down to sleep in the courtyard, with no covering on his white head. The May night was mild and soft, and the old man slept sweetly. Chapter 20 The next day Lavretsky got up rather early had a talk with the village bailiff, visited the threshing floor, ordered the chain to be taken off the yard dog, who only barked a little but did not even come out of his kennel, and returning home sank into a kind of peaceful torpor, which he did not shake off the whole day. Here I am, at the very bottom of the river, he said to himself more than once. He sat at the window without stirring and, as it were, listened to the current of the quiet life surrounding him, to the few sounds of the country solitude. Something from behind the nettles chirps with a shrill, shrill little note. A gnat seems to answer it. Now it has ceased, but still the gnat keeps up its sharp whir. Across the pleasant, persistent, fretful buzz of the flies sounds the hum of a big bee, constantly knocking its head against the ceiling. A cock crows in the street, hoarsely prolonging the last note. There is the rattle of a cart. In the village a gate is creaking. Then the jarring voice of a peasant woman. What? Hey, you are my little sweetheart! cries Anton to the little two-year-old girl he is dangling in his arms. Fetch the kvass, repeats the same woman's voice, and all at once there follows a deathly silence. Nothing rattles, 
nothing is moving the wind is not stirring a leaf without a sound the swallows fly one after another over the earth and sadness waits on the heart from their noiseless flight here i am at the very bottom of the river thought lavretsky again and always at all times life here is quiet unhasting he thought whoever comes within its circle must submit here there is nothing to agitate nothing to harass one can only get on here by making one's way slowly as the ploughman cuts the furrow with his plough and what vigour what health abound in this inactive place here under the window the sturdy burdock creeps out of the thick grass above it the lovage trails its juicy stalks and the virgin's tears fling still higher their pink tendrils and yonder further in the fields is the silky rye and the oats are already in ear and every leaf on every tree every grass on its stalk is spread to its fullest width in the love of a woman my best years have gone by lavretsky went on thinking let me be sobered by the sameness of life here let me be soothed and made ready so that i may learn to do my duty without haste and again he fell to listening to the silence expecting nothing and at the same time constantly expecting something the silence enfolded him on all sides the sun moved calmly in the peaceful blue sky and the clouds sailed calmly across it they seemed to know why and whither they were sailing at this same time in other places on the earth there is the seething the bustle the clash of life life here slipped by noiseless as water over marshy grass and even till evening lavretsky could not tear himself from the contemplation of this life as it passed and glided by sorrow for the past was melting in his soul like snow in spring and strange to say never had the feeling of home been so deep and strong within him end of chapters nineteen and twenty